Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 485. Uh, no guest today. We're just going to be reading your guys' submissions about shame. And I'm sure I'll, I'll be chiming in with <laughs> My deep, deep well of well-earned shame. Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod, also the social media handle you can follow follow me at. Um, thank you guys for filling the surveys out, especially the love surveys, man. Uh, so fitting that I love the love surveys. And it, it's become, I think, such an important part of the surveys, the, the, the light stuff. There's there's so much dark stuff in the in the surveys and in people's stories. It's really nice to to be reminded that there is a lot of love and, and beauty in the world. Share a I want to share a, a personal victory. <laughs> I for some reason would I, I I like playing the game uh, words with friends and and playing Scrabble and I was wondering. What's the largest score anybody's gotten for playing a single word in Scrabble? And so I Googled it, and this person said that theoretically, you could lay down the word oxyphenbutazone. It's a 15-letter word, but because you can only lay down seven tiles at a time, eight of them would have to be perfectly in place, and the word would stretch across three triple tiles. So I thought, well, I got time on my hands. Let me do a two-player game 
and I'll be both players, and then I can work on setting up those eight letters and hope that one of my players can gather all of the rest of the tiles and at one point lay them down. Well, (laughs) easier said than done. It took me six tries and about eight hours, but I finally was able to lay it down, and I got... 1656 points for a single word and the i've posted on social media and uh was very honest about the fact that i was you know did this by playing two players and cheating but the dopamine hit that i got when i laid it down and Scrabble just almost like a slot machine. How it just the number just keeps going up and up. And oh my god, it's it's so weird the things that I'm proud of. Sometimes when I score a, a high uh, score on my Golden Tea video game, I'll get this satisfaction that I don't know if I've ever gotten it from any accomplishment. <laughs> it's. It's weird the things we're proud of. Uh, I don't know if I've read this before. This is something uh, that was posted and shared a lot on Facebook. Um, it's by a woman named Kitty O'Meara, and she wrote this. She wrote this really, really uh, shortly after the quarantine started. And she she writes, and the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games, and learned new ways of being, and were still, and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows, and the people began to think differently, and the people healed, and, in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and hurtless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed, and the people joined together again. They grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. So beautiful. So beautiful. Uh, I was doing one of my online support group meetings last night, and a friend of mine read something that he had written about his childhood. And I thought, man, I would love to read that on the podcast. So I reached out to him and I said, would you be okay with that? And my friend's name is uh, is Sean. And he uh, he said, yeah. And so he sent me this thing that, that he wrote. And you know, the, the subject of the episode today is shame. And there is such a relationship between shame and love addiction, and also abandonment uh, in, in love addiction. But those are the two things that I have found really fuel kind of compulsive behavior, um, addictive relationships, fantasy. And this thing that, that, that Sean wrote, to me, speaks to the power of how how our minds react to abandonment and and shame. The other side of the fence was magic. 
but the fence. I am three years old, and this big backyard is my own personal jungle, where I am free to roam and explore. But what attracts me most is not the yard, the vast jungle, but a tall chain-link fence that separates our property from the one next door. I stand by that fence with toy shovel and plastic bucket, waiting. The anticipation, that feeling at three years old that so many decades later is familiar and frightening. I wait with my bucket and spade for the little girl next door to come out and see me. Courtney Shortle has big brown eyes and golden blonde hair. Her mother braids it into two long ponytails. She's older than me, five going on six. Beautiful, bossy, and I love her. Each day I wait by the chain-link fence, sometimes for what feels like an eternity. And when she steps out her back door, she always looks to see if I'm there waiting, which of course I am. And she skips, skips, with a freedom and joy I don't and couldn't possibly understand. And coming over to the fence, she places her hand against the chain link and says hi, as she waits for me to place my hand against hers. And for that moment, that single moment, I can actually feel her joy. And for that moment, I can escape. For that moment, I don't hear my mother calling my father useless. And I don't see my father strike her so hard it knocks her down. And in that moment, I don't feel scared. The sun heats the warm chain link and does not divide our hands, but bonds them in a sort of eternity that feels timeless to my three-year-old senses. And in that moment, all the scary, all the bad, all the sad is banished. I don't know how many times I stood by that fence waiting for Courtney. I do remember my shovel and bucket. I remember bringing out Mr. Long, my stuffed toy dog. I remember picking an orange from our tree, two oranges, and impressing her with my throw as I tossed one over the fence to her side. We peeled them slowly together and ate them in the sun and laughed, juice running between our fingers, our sticky hands touching through the fence. And I remember the time I will never forget, my shovel and bucket at my feet. A day too cold to dig in the dirt, waiting for Courtney to come out her back door. Cloudy, cold day, the drizzle of the mist could not keep me from waiting. The mist and drizzle turning to rain. I felt cold and wet and I waited, and finally hearing my mother's voice calling me in. I'm waiting for Courtney, I said. The look on my mother's face scared me. I ran to her, not knowing how to define the feeling I had from seeing her face. But her words said it for me. She said, Shawnee, Mr. and Mrs. Shortle sold their house and moved away. Courtney doesn't live there anymore. Again, that was, that was something written by my friend, uh, my friend Sean. Many, many thanks to him for that. We are sponsored by BetterHelp. If you have never tried online counseling, I highly recommend that you check it out. I've been using BetterHelp for a couple of years now. I love being able to do it from the comfort of my home. I love my counselor. She's helped me work through so many issues and continues to help me work through my seemingly endless list of issues. 
If you are interested in checking it out, go to betterhelp.com slash mental and make sure you include the slash mental parts so that they know you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor that they think is a good fit for you, they will match you up with one. And then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is a good fit for you. And you need to be over 18. This is from the Happy Moments survey, and this is filled out by a gender-fluid person who calls himself, my beau is named Penthesilia. And they write, I was at my local archery range recently. With COVID, it's the one happy place I can go where I can be in pretty much nature, but with no people around. I was shooting the backside of the range, and the sun was beautiful through the oaks and on California's so-temporary emerald-rich grass. As I often do, I was listening to your podcast. I find your voice so soothing and calming in my ears. I had sun, there was nobody I had to talk to, and the only other sound was many, many birds and my boots on the paths between targets. I got to a target shot three arrows, and a little bird flew up and landed on one of my stuck-in-the-target arrows, her little feet clutching the arrow shaft as she fluffed up her small wings and took a little bird rest. Of course, I could not shoot again until she left, so I just stood, absorbing the sun and the peace and the gorgeous California late-day light, listening to your wise voice, and I felt utter peace spread through me. Thank you so much for that. Especially the the discomfort of you calling my my voice wise. Boy, that was that was a hard one to absorb. But I'm getting better. Getting better at uh, accepting a compliment and not not putting myself down for fear that somebody's going to think I'm full of myself. This is uh from the body shame survey. And the the couple of things that inspired me to do this episode about shame was uh, that, that thing that my friend Sean wrote. Uh, and then I started looking through the body shame survey, which a lot of people have taken, but I don't read that often on the podcast. And um, I just found some really, really interesting ones. And I want to read them. This is, as I said, from the body shame survey filled out by a trans man who calls himself frustrated in Spokane. And he writes, I have boobs, and I hate them. I lack a penis, and I hate that. I have girly parts, and I hate that. I have a beard, and I love it, but wish it wasn't curly. Why? I'm a trans guy, and my military insurance won't cover surgery, and I can't afford private insurance and make too much for Medicaid. Fuck. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, that... That fucked place, man, where you're you're too much, you make too much to qualify for for aid. I think the donut. I think that's what they call that, the donut, that that kind of hole in the middle of coverage. This is from the love survey filled out by uh, comfortably anxious, and they write, "I love watching shows like CSI with my mom. She is a retired pathologist and loves to make fun of the quote doctors and." quote, cops decked out in white with a full face of makeup and perfect hair. She'll say things like, who wears all white and heels during an autopsy? And she's smiling now, but when that bloated body sprays blood all over her face and scrub, she's going to wish she wore a mask and proper protective equipment. And my personal favorite, 
he's fucking someone in the toxicology lab. How else do you explain getting those results back so fast? Her commentary is often more entertaining than the show, and she tends to solve the mystery by the second commercial break. It's a great time for all involved. Oh, it's so good. Thank you for that. This is from the Body Shame Survey, filled out by Daniel. He writes, I dislike my receding hairline in my early 20s, and it's embarrassing to be balding at this age. I want a puffy hairstyle, that'll ne- uh, but that not, will but that will never happen. It's funny. I never imagined that somebody would want a puffy hairstyle. I always think of puffy as, I don't know, not good. I suppose because I have a physically large head, and whenever my hair looks puffy, <laughs> my head looks like it could block the sun. But uh, thank you for that, Daniel. This is the same survey filled out by Lisa Lisa 42 and she writes, I've always disliked my breasts. When I was young and pubescent, one breast started to grow. I walked around with one breast for a year or two. Can you imagine how annoying that was? The second one grew slower, so I had one huge one and one small one. No doctor could help me. They all said the second one will catch up eventually. Like when I asked, question mark. No one had answers, and I was not okay with that. Well, guess what? It didn't. The breasts are still uneven. I walk around with an arched back so my breast won't stick out for people to see. I stuffed my right bra with toilet paper so it would match my left. I was miserable. I couldn't wear a bikini, certain tops, or dresses. Eventually, like 10 years later, my breasts are still uneven, but thankfully not as noticeable. I decided to embrace and love them no matter what, and I stopped letting this get me down. Someday I'd like breast reduction surgery so I can wear those slutty tops I've always dreamed about. I don't know if this is the equivalent, but I have always had uh, testicles that were one is larger than the other and one hangs lower than the other and oh my god the shame I felt probably really up until I don't know maybe a half dozen years ago and maybe it's a, a one of the byproducts of healing and letting go of trauma and feeling all that stuff and kind of purging it and, and starting to heal but uh, it doesn't really bother me anymore but but for a long time the first time I would uh, be in a relationship with a with a woman and we would get naked I would hire a film crew to sidelight my smaller testicle and make them both look even and what's interesting none of the women ever asked why are 12 people in your bedroom And why is there a mandatory lunch break and a union representative? This is from the love survey filled out by Sanity Check. They write, I love mixing a whiskey sour on a Friday night. It's a small indulgence after the work week. I love watching a YouTube channel where two friends try various things. Watching them learn and goof around makes me smile. And I love going for long motorcycle rides on infrequently traveled roads. Ah, those are great. Never enjoyed the whiskey sour, though. I was never a big uh, hard liquor person. Beer and wine and weed. That was my that was my wheelhouse. This is from the Body Shame Survey. 
Uh, and by the way, the question is, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? Uh, this is filled out by a woman who refers to herself as Catch-22. She writes, my weight goes up and down in a 50-pound arc. When I'm bigger, I feel that my clothes are unflattering and that everyone is looking at my bulges. When I do lose weight and wear something more flattering, I feel that I attract more guys' attention. I don't like being sexualized by random fucking people. As a bartender, I had dressed up for Halloween in a scary, gruesome costume with no cleavage and my face wrapped only to be ogled all throughout work because of the slit in the back of a hospital gown. I work the rest of the night without turning my back to the patrons, so I wonder if I subconsciously eat more because I hate the unwanted attention that comes with feeling good about my body. I'd rather hate my body than have strange men old enough to be my dad look at me sexually. Also, I was sexually assaulted by a friend's dad, so I'm sure that plays a large part. But you know, why can I just control... I think she meant, why can't? But you know, why can I just control how others see me? Guess I need to work on my mind control. Thanks for that. Yeah. It's always interesting the things that people dress up in in Halloween. I've always wondered if if there if if that says something about their fantasies or who they are or hidden parts of them or parts of themselves that they they want to be seen or the part of themselves that they they see opposite of who they are. I don't know. Somebody do it. Somebody do a a project on that and get back to me with your results. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is from the love survey filled out by Nito. And they write, I love when I'm asleep or absorbed in a book or a project and I hear a rumble outside and wonder, is that thunder or just a truck? And wait and wait 
And there it is, a flash and another lovely deep rumble, and then the sound of rain on the eaves. Ah, that's great. So many great moments, uh, moments of, uh, from the love survey involving weather, especially rain. This is from the body shame survey filled out by a woman who calls herself trying to take up less space. And she writes, I love my body. Of course, I'm living in a sick body and I place enormous self-worth on my visible bones and my overall toned physique with very limited body fat. If I looked healthy and had the amount of body fat my doctor wants me to have, I would hate everything about my body. It's so, it's so interesting how rarely we're happy with the doctor's opinion of how we're doing. It's from the love survey filled out by Mike. Mike writes, I love to bake. I rarely get the chance to share the things I make with my family as they are all either health conscious or prefer savory flavors. So it makes me really happy when I get to share with church friends or with my boyfriend. My boyfriend, he's super dreamy. He's older than me and a rugged individual. He's a fascinating and generous fella and he always makes me smile. I love thrift shopping for secondhand clothes. I've been fortunate enough to develop my own personal style for a fraction of what it would cost to buy things new. And finally, I love having sex with somebody I love. The closeness and the vulnerability and the humor of it is something like bliss. Yeah, that's uh, thank you for that. That that's one of the things that I never expected. I think when I was coming of age, as it were, and was imagining, God, what will it be like when I'm able to have sex? I never imagined how humor would be such an important part of it and a vulnerability. This is from the body shame survey filled out by uh, somebody who identifies as gender fluid. And they refer to themselves as pole pot pie. Certainly my favorite Cambodian snack. Uh, dislikes. I'm non-binary with very feminine physical attributes. I have no time at all for my breasts, which used to be very attention-getting in my late teens, in the parentheses, puppy fat years. But by age 22, it decreased in size considerably as I lost weight and settled into my adult body, in parentheses, a ton of the male attention went with them, good riddance. My breasts are still nice objectively on the average to small size, but I have no love for them. They give me a ton of dysphoria, so I ignore them for the most part. I've worn high compression sports bras almost exclusively, even to formal events for years, and have done a ton of research on binding. I love the feeling of a nearly flat chest under my clothes. Because I live in Europe, the fact that I can often go topless at the beach without any interference is so relieving. It's not that way in America, where I am originally from. I like learning about top surgery and feel that's something I would absolutely love, although the idea of surgery scares me a lot and would, in all likelihood, prevent me from ever going through with it. I stay on hormonal medication 24-7 to prevent periods, as mine are deeply painful and make me unbearably sick. As you can imagine, having one triggers my gender dysphoria and, until I took a step several years ago to control the situation, were beginning to repeatedly give rise to suicidal ideations. During 
Uh, recently, during a very busy period of work and travel, I missed my refill on time and had my first period in years. It was abysmal. I white-knuckled through the next 48 hours in misery and vowed never, ever again. What I like about my body, I'm a drummer and a surfer and I love super physical activities like dance classes, ocean swimming, hiking, and backpacking for several months at a time. I enjoy setting my physical goals just at the edge of my limits and pushing through the challenges, feeling strong and capable. I'm long and lean, which means I can buy trousers in the boys' section of clothing stores, which suits my style perfectly. I have a very strong handshake from drumming and love when people, especially men, comment on it, especially after misgendering me in their minds. It's so fucking satisfying. And I am absolutely in love with my armpit and thigh hair, which I haven't shaved uh, in a little over two years and is the softest, most comforting, sweet, and lovely thing to touch and play with. Or in the summer, feel the breeze go through and watch bleach blonde in the sun. Wow. That was awesome. Thank you. I remember... I was about 12 years old. My family was vacationing in uh, Montana, and we're staying on this amazing, amazing lake that was so clear and cold. And you could stand on the pier, and I remember there was a beer can that was, was in the water, and it was probably six feet down, and you could read all of the writing on the beer can. It was, it was so clear. And one day I went out on the pier, and there was a woman who hadn't shaved anything. And so she had uh, hairy legs, and I think I remember too that it was like pubic hair, you know, coming out the sides of her bathing suit. And I remember my mind just being blown, just absolutely blown. And I didn't ask any questions or say anything, but I'm sure, I'm sure I was uh, obviously transfixed by it. This is from the love survey filled out by uh, Teachable Moment, and they write, I love a warm rain. I love it when my younger daughter runs and gives me a hug from behind. I love her little arms wrapping around my waist and the big smile on her face when I turn around. I love that my 12-year-old daughter still loves to cuddle up with me on the couch and watch movies. I love the way it feels when my boyfriend touches me in any way, forehead kisses, holding me, soft, slow kisses. And I love that my cat will let me hold him like he is a teddy bear. That's so great. That is one of my favorite, favorite things is holding an animal and they just completely trust you. And you hold them and they're just on their back, falling asleep. Oh. This is from the body shame survey filled out by a guy who calls himself uh, Patrick, Patrick M., He writes, I started losing my hair in my early 20s. For people who this hasn't happened to, I can't put into words how devastating this was to me. I'm now 44 years old and now shave my head two to three times per week and have come to accept it a little more. I've also been told I have a decent-looking bald head. I'm thankful my head isn't shaped strangely, but I often wonder how different my life would be if my body chemistry slash DNA were different and I was able to keep a nice full head of hair. Would I be in a happy marriage with kids? Would my life have been more exciting? Would I have been able to date more beautiful women? Would I have had more career and relationship success than I've had? 
When I get into a dark headspace, I think that losing my hair may have been the experience that determined my life path more than any other. Not earning my two bachelors and the two master's degrees from good universities, not my drive to succeed, not my intelligence, etc. That losing my hair has determined my life's destiny, and I'm deluding myself by trying to convince myself otherwise. On top of all of this, I have a hairy back and shoulders. What the fuck, body? Thanks. Thank you for that. And you know, it it's about the the hairy back and the hairy shoulders. I, I have kind of hairy shoulders. It's weird because it's a uh, didn't really start to grow until I don't know maybe ten years ago. But um, I always remember this this uh, homily, uh, which is the speech part of the mass for uh, non Catholics, where the where the priest kind of riffs decides whatever he's going to talk about. And he was talking about how we view our, our, our physical beings. And he said, you know, it, it's, you're not, it's not your body uh, per se that's important. It's how you view your taint. And there's a gasp that went through the church. And a lot of people didn't know what a taint was. And he said, let me tell you about taints. And uh, and he went on to talk about the importance, <laughs> the important, the importance of taints in our spiritual lives, and and then he just said, "Taint that the truth," and he dropped the mic and and said, "Peace be with you." And everybody thought, "Wow, that seems like a short mass," but it is. It's all about the taint. I actually go to a taint salon about once a month. I go and uh, oh, it's a fantastic place, and they have a couple options on the menu. Uh, you can get your taint completely shaved, but I don't care for the the name of it. That one is called White Power. I should mention the the taint salon is in the woods of Idaho. Um, <laughs> You can also get a buzz cut on your taint. That one's called Ten Hut. Uh, you can get a perm, which is called Fondue Party. <laughs> you can get, uh, let's see, Shag Rug. V- not a very popular one at all, but the, all of these are super affordable, but the one that's the most expensive that I've been saving up for is uh, a one that requires a lot of really, really strategic trimming, and it's called Careless Whisper. And it is, I suppose wispy would be the word to describe it, but it it involves a team of highly trained surgeons using cuticle scissors and the person who is getting it is upside down on a swing and I don't know why they have the person swinging on a pendulum because they get stabbed a lot in the testicles but you get it free so maybe that's why because otherwise it's $15,000 when I look at the stats 
and the downloads and the listens for this show, it's going to be interesting to see the steep drop-off around the 32-minute mark. Oh, thank you for that survey, by the way. This is from the Body Shame Survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself the best pile of shit ever. He writes, you know when you get out of the shower, you're drying off, and you see yourself in the mirror? I look away, pale, puffy, and saggy. No definition. If I hate looking at me, who would ever want me? Thank you for that. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little jarring sometimes, the, uh, the glance in the mirror. Especially, like, if... if you're bending over and your gut's hanging down. There's times I feel okay, though. There's times I look and uh, and I'll be like, this this doesn't require police tape. This isn't a total crime scene. Yeah, I, I could be mistaken for a manatee, but... I like the amphibious look. Uh, this is from the love survey filled up by Nico. And Nico writes, I love that I can get out of bed in the morning without feeling weighted down like I once used to. I love cold, crisp mornings. I love bundling up and feeling cozy. I love my morning routine. My geriatric cat will wake me up a minute or two before my alarm goes off. I wake up to her loudly purring and pawing at my face. She looks at me with her big old yellow eyes and omits, om, omits, I think she meant omits, uh, excitement and joy. Perhaps it's only for the anticipation of food. I turn on the kettle and boil some water for my coffee. The leftover water I pour into a rubber hot water bottle and gently tuck into my cat's favorite blanket, wrap her up in a nest, kiss her little head, and off I go to work. Oh, love that. Love that. One of our sponsors for today is Gravity Blanket. It is the most popular weighted blanket for sleep, stress, and anxiety. And it's the only blanket that's scientifically proven to improve sleep quality and reduce stress. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Gravity Blanket. Uh, as I've said on previous uh, endorsements of Gravity Blanket, I always wondered why it felt so good to have weight on me. And then I'll often ask my girlfriend when I'm having trouble getting out of bed, would you come lay on me for a while? And I guess I'm not the only one because uh, Gravity Blanket does does what <laughs> I have to ask my girlfriend to do. You can choose between 15, 20, and 25-pound blankets. By, by the way, my girlfriend is 27 pounds. Uh, in a variety of sizes, including king and queen size. Gravity also has an impeccable lineup of additional relaxing products, included, including weighted eye masks and new bamboo sheets designed to give you a perfect night's rest. Learn more about gravityblankets.com and use promo code MENTAL to get 20% off your purchase today. That's gravityblankets.com and use code MENTAL to get 20% off the blanket that everyone's talking about. We are sponsored today by Best Fiends. If you guys are looking for an app that gives your brain a workout, helps you when you're kind of 
I don't know, between things to do and you don't really feel like doing anything in particular. You just want to chill out for 15 minutes. Uh, you should check out Best Fiends. Uh, it's, it involves a lot of strategy. The game is, is bugs versus slugs, but it's, there's a lot of visual puzzles and there's strategy involved. And I really like how they, they keep it from becoming stale. I'm at like level 120 something and they keep it challenging. They keep it, uh, mixing it up with, the different styles of, of puzzles you can do. So check it out. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. Plus, they update the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. It does not require internet to play, so you don't need to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. With over a hundred million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Fiends. This is from the Body Shame Survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself American Picker. She writes... Uh, to the question, what do you like or dislike about your body? My facial acne has been bothering me more lately. I love a mountainless terrain, but not on my cheeks. I've always been a picker. When I'm mad or sad or especially anxious, it's so comforting to scan my skin with my fingertips and take my nails and pop, scratch, and dig. I don't like it when I bleed. When I started doing the podcast, I was I didn't realize how many people have issues with um, picking their their skin and uh, pulling out their hair. It's uh, incredibly common. Not to not to minimize it at all, but just saying it's you're not alone if you're somebody that struggles with that. This is from the love survey filled out by JC who writes, I motherfucking love cursing. Shit, can it be goddamn cathartic? How the hell is it possible for just saying a word to feel so fucking good? I don't know. I don't know. But rock on, motherfucker. This is from the body shame survey filled out by a woman who calls herself bored at work. I love my eyes. I love the way my hands look with deep red nails against my super pale skin. I love my natural light brown slash dark blonde hair color. I love my breasts. I hate my body a lot. I hate that I've gained around 80 pounds over the last two years, mainly due to binge eating and behaviors associated with some major mental breakdowns. I hate that the extra weight makes me look like my mom and sister. I hate that my jawline is missing. I hate that I'm in plus-sized clothes. I hate how clothes feel. I hate that I don't feel beautiful in any anymore. I feel like I had a brief couple of years where my body was nice and I was attractive and I feel like I'll never get there again. I'm also a chronically clumsy person with very little awareness of my body. I have some problems dissociating from my physical self and it makes me very critical and ashamed of every move I make. I can't dance and I feel utterly humiliated any time I try to exercise or do anything physical because I'm convinced I look like a fool. And finally, I'm ashamed of my teeth. 
I had braces and everything in middle school and high school, but I lost my retainer, thanks then undiagnosed ADD, and never replaced it, and my front teeth have moved again. I also had terrible oral hygiene for a long time, thanks depression, and with my crap enamel, I've had a million cavities. My teeth are ugly and shameful, and I'm even ashamed to go to a dentist because I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. I also can't afford the work I need to to have done on them or the veneers I desperately want for them. I'm a lawyer, but I also have so much school debt already that I can't afford much other stuff. I rarely smile because of how embarrassed I am of my teeth. It's such a class slash shameful thing too that I'm desperate to fix. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it. Uh, I really encourage you to... to Go see a dentist. Dentists have seen everything, everything. And, you know, just like people that are afraid to share stuff with the therapist, man, they've, they have heard it all. They have seen it all. And let them, let them help you. you. You deserve it. This is from the love survey filled out by Jonathan. He writes, I love it when finishing a run, uh, I get that euphoria all throughout my body. It's one of the most incredible feelings I've experienced. One of the most incredible feelings I've experienced, and I'm almost 30. It makes me feel at peace with everything, totally relaxed. At that moment, I worry about nothing. Depression is gone. The anxiety melted away. Like you literally just outran all your troubles for a little while. So you can sit and relax while they try to catch up with you. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you for that, Jonathan. Yeah, that that is such a good feeling. And then smiling or laughing comes naturally. That is a great feeling. This is from The Body Shame, filled out by Margot. She writes, I used to feel beautiful because I'm very thin and petite, but now I hate it, and mostly because of other people. People make comments about how I look sickly and need to eat something. Basically, just make me feel like I'm grotesque. I don't have unhealthy eating habits. I just can't gain weight well because of an autoimmune disease. Now I'm afraid to have sex with new people for fear they'll be disgusted by me. This makes me run back to people who aren't good for me simply because they are familiar and I'm comfortable with them. I want to feel healthy and comfortable in my own skin, but I worry I'm going to be sick forever. I want to take steps to become more confident, but I have no idea how to go about doing that. Thank you for that, Margo. Yeah, people, it's interesting, people, and, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, as I look at people that are really skinny and just think, fuck, why can't, why can't I be like that? You know, and I imagine what it would be like to, to wear a suit and, you know, look like one of the mannequins. One of the mannequins I'm always jealous of in the department store, not not because of how they look, but because they don't have to do anything all day long. They just get to sit there. This is from the love survey filled out by a person who calls himself, I love you. They write, I love when something is falling, say a pen, a laptop, a phone, and you catch easily without twerking your body in an awkward way. I love it when you're twerking to a really good song and everything around you falls and you don't give a shit and you just work that fucking ass. Work it. Just giving people little peeks of that taint. Yeah. And surprise them. 
just, oh my God, you redid your, your taint hairdo. <sighs> oh, I love when I make the right amount of food for myself and others. When it's not too much or too little, the perfect amount for the situation. Oh, I love that one. I love when I look at my water bottle that is pink and sparkly and remember that I'm 25, but I can do whatever the fuck I want. I'm allowed to. I love when the bath water temperature is just right for my mood and body that day. I love clean laundry and bedding that smells fresh. I love when a room or restaurant has the perfect lighting. I love when I take myself for random little adventures just to enjoy my own company. I love when I own my greatness. Boy, that is a that is a great one and not one that we hear often. Because I believe that we all have some type of greatness and something special about us. And it's so rare that we're able to accept that possibility or even get in touch with it. I love when my best friend texts me from the middle of the Denali National Forest from a satellite phone when she is on a climbing trip. I love when someone calls me crying, asking for support. The vulnerability makes me proud of humanity. Oh, that's a beautiful one. I love when I reach for a crystal right before I'm falling asleep, having a specific one in mind out of the many on my side table, and I immediately grab the right one. I have no idea what, what that is about what the what the strategy is about there i love walking around my house in my underwear and a t-shirt yeah that's i i love doing that one if you replace house with mall you'll get discounts at a lot of stores if you just walk in in your underwear You can tell them, look, you can charge me full price and I'm going to browse. Or you knock 25% off and we wrap this up. This is from the body shame survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Marley Mouse. And she writes, I grew up when it was really popular to be as thin as possible. When did that change? Uh, I was always curvier than other girls my age and had double deep breasts by the time I was 12. In locker rooms, other girls would make comments about my body or straight up grab my breasts and butt. Even though I was of normal weight for my age and height, I thought any kind of curvature to my body meant I was a disgusting fat beast and exercised compulsively, and it got worse when my parents forced me into competing in track in middle school. In high school, I did back-to-back cross-country and track seasons, did weekend workouts, added extra practices over breaks, and went to training clinics. I had a teacher pull me aside and ask if I was okay because she had noticed I had lost an extreme amount of weight in a short amount of time. I heard my parents quietly comment to each other on how much weight I had lost. I had coaches tell me to lose more weight if I wanted to be competitive. My exercise obsession reached such extremes trying to reach a goal that I just wasn't atta- that just wasn't attainable for my body type that I ended up needing physical therapy for damage to my knees. My outer quadricep muscle of my thigh was disproportionately strong and was dragging my kneecap towards the outside of my leg causing it to rub on bone. When they took x-rays, the back of my kneecaps were jagged from that and from pounding pavement for years. I'm sure you can imagine my shock when 
characteristically, I was always shamed. I'm sure you can imagine my shock where when characteristics I was always shamed for became popular with celebrities. Now the girls who teased me for having wide hips, a big butt, large breasts, and a, quote, masculine facial bone structure are all trying to get filler and implants. I am now the heaviest I've ever been, but the most comfortable I've ever been with my body. I've come to love my natural shape. Still, I cannot get on a treadmill or go for a run outdoors without panicking. Thank you for that. Yeah, nothing uh, nothing like the uber-competitive coach that <laughs> looks at you like a machine without feelings or any kind of insecurity. This is from the love survey filled out by uh, somebody who calls himself, Will I Ever Age Out of My Ketchup Addiction? No, you will not. I love hearing my parents tell the same stories they've told me for decades as if they're telling it for the first time. That's a great one. Oh, and I love this next one so much. I love the feeling of grass on my bare feet. The best. Especially on a golf course. My dad used to live by a a golf course and I would love visiting him and just taking my shoes off. Not walking on it, just taking my shoes off and looking at the golf course. Um, This is from the Body Shame Survey filled out by Sassafras, and she writes, When I developed breasts, it happened virtually overnight. Because of the rapid growth, I ended up with huge areolas and red stretch marks all the way around both of them. I was convinced I was deformed. And, of course, when you're an early bloomer, the boys won't leave you alone. So I also endured three years of daily sexual harassment, including being grabbed by the breasts from behind and shaken up and down while the other boys laughed uh, at school from grade 7 to grade 10. I also have one inner labia that is bigger than the other. Now, I could care less about this. I'm in my 40s and have birthed crotch goblins. I assume that that means kids. So my self-consciousness has been tempered by perspective. But at that age, I felt it was another way in which I didn't measure up. There was also an unspoken pressure to be perfect. My parents are not diagnosable narcissists, but they were social climbers who are still very self-absorbed. Those early experiences were confusing. I got so much attention about my body, not because I wanted it, but I was curious about boys and interested in having a boyfriend, but they all treated me horribly, so I just ended up feeling ugly and pathetic. The verbal abuse that went along with the physical sunk in deep. Later, the main perpetrator and physical abuser would tell me he and my neighbor, another male classmate, had peeped on me in my room. He then said my nipples were too big, and I realized with horror that he was serious. I think you got to marry that guy because he pays attention. What an asshole. What a fucking douche that guy is. How clueless. How clueless. I mean, that is so fucked. I'm so sorry you had to experience that. And thank you for for sharing that. This is a happy moment filled out by Stupid Gremling. And they write, um, 
Realizing that my friends actually care for me and are also there for me. Also, after I stole money from my parents to buy drugs, my father forgave me. Even though I'm a piece of shit for doing that, he gave me a second chance and sends me a good night message every night. Oh, that is so sweet. Oh, I love that. I love that. This is from the Body Shame survey filled out by a gender-fluid person who refers to themselves as sober boobies. And they write, When I was a child, I felt at peace with my body, and I would frequently strip down to my underwear because wearing clothes felt like being trapped. I was, of course, told I needed to wear clothes in public. Everyone thought I was a real girly girl because of the floral dresses I would wear, but the real reason I wore them was so that my legs wouldn't feel constricted by pants and I could run around and play better. I first started feeling uncomfortable with my body around the time puberty started. I remember my mother telling me I was going to develop breasts and I cried about it. I was so upset that I would have to wear a shirt for the rest of my life and I was scared of the way people would look at me. My mother has always talked about her large breasts and how she wishes she could have them reduced, so I may have been adopting her narrative. I remember around age 11, my hormones started giving me vaginal discharge, and I didn't know it was normal. One day, I had been masturbating in secret, also didn't know that that was normal yet, and my fluids had soaked through my thin little orange cotton shorts. I felt so scared that there was something wrong with me, so scared that I had ruined my shorts, and so ashamed of myself that I hid them deep in the dirty laundry pile. From age 11 or 12 onward, I wanted so badly to be skinny. I would starve myself, or sometimes only eat cucumbers or mints, but I never purged. I have a natural pot belly. Even when I'm underweight, my friends would sometimes slap it and laugh, and it felt really degrading, but I would laugh along with them. I was so excited when I found out in my teenage years that doing drugs could make me skinny. I was an addict from age 15 to 24, starting with alcohol, cocaine, and anything I could get my hands on, and progressing to heroin. Obviously, I had many other reasons for becoming an addict, um, but I will stick to the survey question. When I finally went to detox and got clean from heroin, I was really happy with my weight. My hip bones stuck out, my ribs were like xylophones, my tummy was tucked, and I had a thigh gap. I started steadily gaining weight after that, and for 10 months, I was feeling worse and worse about myself when I tried to squeeze into my old thin clothes. Now, finally, a year into sobriety, I realize why my body has been doing this, and I finally feel compassion for myself. I've starved, abused, and poisoned myself for so many years now that my poor body has been frantically packing on weight trying to protect itself in case I started doing that again. When I had that realization, my thinking and feeling shifted, and I became so grateful for how hard my body has worked to keep me alive and how forgiving it has been for the way I've treated it. I took all my, quote, thin clothes out of my dresser, including my day-of-the-week panties that I adore, and I'm now sewing them into clothes that fit me. I figured that as long as I am treating myself in a healthy way by eating right and moving around enough, whatever my body does is a healthy response and I don't have to feel shame about it. Funnily enough, now that I've come to this place with myself, I find eating better and moving around easier. I think I've finally found a balanced partnership with my body and I'm so grateful. 
I almost feel a little weepy thinking about how much I used to hate myself and how much I love myself now. Self-forgiveness, acceptance, and understanding are such huge blessings. And this has been such an intense and beautiful journey to go through, even though a lot of it has been really difficult. I'm also glad the idea I had as a child that people with breasts have to wear shirts all the time is a load of crap. I love being able to drive out to the river as soon as spring hits so I can lay on the ground and let some sunshine caress my big old belly and boobs. That is awesome. Thank you for that. And congrats on your sobriety. That's fucking huge. Huge. All right. I want to read one final thing. This is a awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself cringing at the bottle. She writes, a couple of days ago, I continued my daily quarantine ritual of enjoying a few glasses of post-workday wine, except this time I had more than a few. I called my mother, who lives 5,000 plus miles away, on the phone, and we had a great time chatting about everything under the sun and enjoying each other's company. Over the course of our chat, I made a couple of cocktails, not knowing at the time that things would take a turn for the worse. I wake up with a pounding headache at 5 a.m., Oh, shit. I knew I had done something terribly stupid. My window is completely open, and there's a vibrator next to me. I walk up to my kitchen and find an empty bottle of wine, and what was left of my vodka bottle completely gone. I don't usually drink hard liquor, and now I know why. I look at my phone and see a string of calls to both my long-distance boyfriend and mother. I vaguely remember talking to my boyfriend, and thinking that he was actually in the room with me? Question mark. When I called him, he said that I kept asking him why he wasn't fingering me or having sex with me and why he wasn't lying next to me and asking it angrily. He said I was sobbing on and, on and off, mumbling, occasionally laughing interspersed with what I'm sure was extremely unsexy sexy talk. Realizing that I had also continued talking to my mother, I called her up to find out how much damage I had done. She told me that for an hour I was talking about how much my older brother had mistreated me as a child, how he had obliterated my self-esteem, and how I wish I had a father figure, pathetically crying to her until she was able to get off the phone with me. I guess somewhere in our conversation I also talked about how I want to have children, question mark. Sobbing, of course and was concerned that it might not be my trajectory. These are things that I think about every now and then, but it shocks me that this is something I would sob about for an hour. This happened two days ago, and I'm still cringing thinking about this. I also occupy the first floor of a large 1600s house with paper-thin walls, and the other two floors occupied by the family who owns the house, and I pray to God that they didn't hear me. My mom said that maybe they'll think someone died, which would explain my sobs, but if they heard me begging the invisible person in my room to have sex with me, they'll surely think I'm insane, not to mention that my windows were open and I woke up next to my vibrator. Oh God. I have a pretty sweet living situation, and the thought of me jeopardizing it because of a drunken night, by myself no less, horrifies me, even though I'm probably overthinking it. 
I'm sure I'll laugh at this situation in a few months, but for now, I prefer to crawl in a hole until my embarrassment wears off. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That while well, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that, thank you for giving all of us the relief that it wasn't us. <laughs> oh, the hungover cleaning up of messes. The worst. The worst. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Anyway, I hope you you guys got something out of this episode. And if you're out there and you're you're feeling stuck, hang in there. Help is out there. It's just a matter of finding it. And um, if we keep seeking, we will eventually find it, find our our community. And uh, it's such a great feeling when we do find our people and we do start to heal and we do start to feel optimistic about life. It's I'm. Um, I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad I hung in there. And uh, just remember, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.